Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and co-parents of all ages, this podcast is for you. Introducing in the center ring, the amicable divorce expert, Judith Weigel. Joining me in center ring today is a most unusual person. Her name is Etta Rose. She comes to us from the Fort Lauderdale area. Etta is a legal professional. She's not a judge. She's not an attorney, but she is somebody who is going to be enormously helpful to all of you in terms of understanding how to work with lawyers and within the legal profession when you have to use them for divorce. Etta, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, by the way. Oh my God, it was so much fun being on your podcast. So here's Etta. I met Etta because I was a guest on her podcast. Her podcast is called Let's Talk Legal. And most of the people, Etta, who listen to your podcast are in the legal profession, aren't they? Yes. Yes. Um, They're mostly paralegals, legal professionals in general. We have a lot of attorneys. And recently, well, I shouldn't say recently, within the last six months, we've been incurring a lot of um, law students. So that's fun. Oh, you know what? And and that's really phenomenal because of something we're going to talk about a little bit later in, in our hour. But before, the, oh, I know what I wanted to say, but you are public or are you subscription? I'm public. Okay. So if anybody after they listened to this wanted to tune in and continue to find out more about the legal profession, either to continue to gain knowledge about how to work within the legal community or go into the legal profession themselves, that would be a possibility, right? Absolutely. Um, We try to introduce as many alternative paths as possible. You know, everybody looks at the legal industry like, okay, I'm either a lawyer or paralegal and there's like nothing in between. And I was like, no, there's plenty. We have court reporters, we have mediators, we have um, consultants, we have uh, a human resource. You know, there's so many other uh, diverse paths that you can take, especially now with the pandemic it has enhanced uh, legal technology. So we have a lot of legal technicians and software developers, you know, really working with these big name uh, softwares out there to really provide the product that is needed in order for this new normal is what they're calling it um, to really succeed and continue, right? Because we're never going back, right? We're only going to move forward. So understanding that there's other options out there and there's flexibility, um, And understanding and tapping into the mind of the legal professional will help you not only if you're going into the legal industry, um, if, or, you know, to work, um, but also to utilize a legal professional, it'll teach you, oh, wow, okay, I get it now. Um, it's all about perspective. You know, we, we like to say that we are educating while empowering, you know, kind of thing. So that's our motto. (laughs) And, and we're going to go more into, uh, what you provide in a minute, but I want to give people a little bit more of your background because I think it's really interesting and then it'll it'll bring us to present time. So you spent 19 years as a professional, and I love that you said professional excellence. You spent 19 years of professional excellence in the legal profession. I, I enjoyed that because I enjoy when people elevate what they do. It means so much. You know, I think, and this is what I'm getting to find out after I went off, you know, as a freelancer and a contract worker, I saw that the legal professionals were losing ambition, were getting despaired, were getting burned out. And for me, although I did go through a period of maybe called burnout, but it was while I was also becoming a mother. So it could have kind of been like a, you know, two for one -er. Um, it, it could have been a combination of both, but I love being a pro- paralegal. Like everybody asks me, you know, why don't you just go to law school? You, you know, you know so much and you do this and you do that and you're basically a lawyer. And I was like, that's great and dandy, but I'm not a litigator. There's a difference. I like to do the grunt work. I like to do the research and prepare everything and make it look pretty, you know, and, and give it to the attorney and let them take care of the rest. Um, you know, there's, there's a different personality for different things. And even though I do consider myself as an assertive person and a, you know, go-getter and very ambitious, obviously, 
um, I know my place and I know where I'm comfortable and where I'm happy at. And for me, it's supporting those, you know, attorneys that have gone the distance and gotten their degrees and, and really um, are looking for that support that they need in order to succeed. And it's not all about, you know, the glory at the end of the day, because you'll get the glory, you know, you'll get the glory from your attorney, from your client, from the reviews at the leave from the law firm. So it's not always about getting that, you know, big ticket degree. It's about being satisfied with and knowing who you are and what your, where your talents are better utilized at this point. Man, that was so well said because <laughs> people say that to me as well. But you have to understand that there is a real relationship between lawyers and paralegals. Lawyers absolutely rely on the paralegals to do research, to help them build their case, to, um, to debate perspective on how the case is going to be presented. And I really think a lot of times a paralegal can bring an attorney down to earth and ground them in a more realistic approach than just the fight, 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 um, answering, uh, answering motions, answering depositions, answering this. No, 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 no. You, attorneys can get so caught up in that legal back and forth that they lose sight that there could be a common sense solution to a legal problem that will save their clients a ton of money. Maybe it won't make the attorneys a ton of money <laughs> in the short run, but it will in the long run because those clients will refer you. And yes. that's what you want is future money. What do you think? Yes, I think you're right. I think you just hit it right on the nail with that because um, understanding that paralegals also are the customer service of the firm. You know, we provide that client experience and we go and we look forward to our handling our clients, right? That's what the paralegal position was created to do. It was to alleviate the attorney from that constant responsibility so that they can focus on attending the hearings, you know, continuing to draft the motions, right? Because paralegals take it up to a point, but obviously the attorney goes ahead and does the last call on those motions and those briefs that we were just discussing. So understanding that it's not only the practical skills, uh, it's all about communication. You know, everything that we do is communicative, right? Like we verbal, uh, emails, drafting, all of that is communication. So understanding that that's a very integral portion of the legal professional's position, regardless of what type of legal professional you are. If you don't have customer service, no clients, what was my formula? No clients, no business, no job, no money. That's it. You're done. So understanding that the clients are the heartbeat of the legal industry and that if you don't have anybody to defend and protect, well, then what are you going to do? I know. And when I went to paralegal school, it was really important that they impressed upon us that attorneys need help in regards to managing time, ergo managing cases. They're not supposed to take more cases than they can handle in terms of customer service, but that's really kind of unrealistic if you're really going to run a successful law firm. Ergo, it's the paralegal who provides the customer service, does the hand-holding. No, you can't give legal advice, but there's so much between um, having the client understand where they are in the process, understand when the attorney will get back, and it's not necessary today but when it's necessary, it will happen. Things like that, right? right? The human side of making the client feel informed and comfortable. Yeah, I mean, I think somewhere along the line, I'm not sure where the disconnect was birthed, but we forgot that our clients or our job is to take care of humans, right? They have no idea what we do, uh, what to expect. So setting those expectations from the intake process, from the time that they walk into your firm, whether it's virtual or physical, depending on your format, um, understanding that that is crucial. That experience that that client gets from the beginning of their case to the end of their case, regardless where you're starting, even if you're taking over from another attorney, 
It's up to you to take that responsibility and understand that they have no clue what's going on. That's why they hired you. That's why they're there, you know, because if they can handle it themselves, they would. If they understood the concepts, they would. So um, understanding that, you know, you got to put the human back in humanity and, and really you know, I hate this word, this phrase, but handholding, you know, for me, it's like a little, you know, whatever, but, uh, you know, understanding and empathy is better replacement for that. I don't think it has anything to do with handholding them. Um, it's just like, think about something that you know nothing about. Like, let's say you're a legal professional and you work in the medicine, you know, you work in hospitals or anything like that. And, you know, a doctor comes up to you and starts saying all these words. I mean, you, you have no idea what they're saying. Yeah. And like, really under like think about something that you don't know anything about mechanics fixing your car i mean there's so many things that you probably know nothing about so take that mindset and you know to this kind of scenario that we're presenting today and really understand that oh yeah that's right you know me too i could be in that position one day absolutely and you know if if we were to extend the medical metaphor it's the nurses we go to for the extended explanation it's the service manager we go to at the automotive repair place to really explain to us what the mechanic tried to explain but it kind of went over our heads hugely valuable position because that's where things break down the level of expectation the lack of understanding, that's where it all breaks down or it all stays together and your well-oiled team moves forward efficiently for the client. Correct. Well said. I was interested in the transition that you made. So 19 years as a paralegal working for an attorney, and then you broke out to do what you're doing now. You have a concierge service where you work for multiple attorneys. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what, why did that transition happen? Uh, I saw the need in my almost two decades worth. <laughs> I saw the need of attorneys really getting that excellence, right? That, that, uh, professional excellence, but they couldn't afford to pay them full time with the benefits and all, you know, it's costly, Ah. right? It gets very costly, um, onboarding a full-time employee. Um, they say that it costs the company more for onboarding and offboarding than it does to keep them. So that's why sometimes when you're like, why is this lady still employed? Well, that's probably what it is. They can't afford to bring somebody else in or, or do that. So that also led me, um, once I started doing, you know, those type of concierge services, like you explained, that also led me to the consulting portion of the company, which is coming into these law firms that already have the staff, just don't know what to do with them or have the wrong uh, person in the wrong position or don't have a streamlined process to take them to that end goal that they so are longing for. Um, And they're almost there. They just need a little push, you know, a little guidance is what we like to call it. So we've been doing that a lot of that, especially this year, we've, we already got three new contracts. So we're really happy about that. Um, but the whole purpose of why I opened up at Arosa LLC was to fill in that gap, right? To fill in that gap between the disconnect, between the relationship between what a paralegal should be and what an attorney uh, relationship should be. So that gap is huge because law schools, paralegal study programs, college in general, any undergrad does not teach you how to really partner up with a paralegal and work with a paralegal, how to utilize a paralegal. Sometimes paralegals themselves don't even know what they're supposed to be doing at the firm because they've been in multiple firms and they've done multiple things and worn multiple hats, which in essence, that's really our job. I always say that a paralegal is just a higher version of a customer service rep, right? We do a lot more than that, but we need to continue that customer service, you know, for that firm. Um, regardless if we have, you know, if that firm has a receptionist or an intake, de- you know, department, depending on how scattered and departmentalized the firm is, because the bigger the firm, the more they divide the process, which I'm not saying that's a bad thing. <laughs> no, they <laughs> have to. I mean, you have to have a different organizational chart. Yeah. So two things. When in your concierge services where you provide support legal service for attorneys, 
do you mostly work with solo practitioners or very small firms that absolutely need to outsource? Yeah, so we really pick and choose who we work with. Uh, We go through a vigorous intake process to really make sure that it's going to be a fruitful for both parties. Um, That's the purpose of being a concierge service is to really connect those um, successful relationships. Uh, It could be ongoing. It could be a temporary thing, just like if they just need something for a trial preparation. Um, It could be a a heavy brief that they need that they need to send out to federal court. And we all know that federal court is not easy. It's very time consuming. So understanding that, understanding their needs, um, we have a full-on intake process that they go ahead, they fill it out, they send it back to us, and we'll immediately know whether or not it's going to be a good fit. I mean, that's how like you know, to the point we are with the intake process. You know what? I'm I'm so happy to hear you say that too, because (laughs) the attorneys don't have a great sounding brand. Mm. In general, people fear attorneys. Mm. People don't respect the honesty and ethical level of attorneys. Mm. There's so much money to be made in law that unless you really are concerned and work hard to manage your client's money, to not look at the opportunity to make money unnecessarily. I mean, this is huge in the legal field. So my my first question to you is, you've had a bird's eye view of how attorneys work. And now you're saying that when you are called by a firm or when you reach out to a firm either way, there is a process you go through to determine, is this, the, is this firm, are these people, is this solo practitioner uh, the right person for you? Because as I read everything about you and I've listened to your podcast, ethics and honesty are super important to you. Yes. Please comment on that. Yeah, um, I, I think that's at the forefront. Um, I've been in the industry long enough to kind of see both sides of the spectrum and see everything in between. Uh, there's, I'm not going to say there's such thing as bad attorneys. I think there's just bad perception. So understanding that sometimes they're going through something, whether it be personal, professional, or whether they were trained to be that way by a mentor or a mentor, you know, um, uh, apprenticeship or anything like that. They were, it's not that they were like that. I've met a lot of attorneys that genuinely went to law school to fight for justice, be that go-getter, you know, fight for the people, for the people, by the people. And then they get into law school and it's a whole different atmosphere. You know, they have, they're pinned against each other. They have to, you know, argue, everything is an argument, right? In, in law, they call it an argument. It's not a debate. It's an argument. So just it, by that's simple, a good point. Edith, that's a good point. So it's even not by a debate, those simple it's terminology, yeah. you know what I mean? Even yeah. by that simple terminology, it can really change your mind. So that's there's no surprise that the American Bar Association is doing a mental health pledge. There's no surprise that there's more uh, life coaches and legal development coaches for geared specifically to attorneys because most of them have been brainwashed. Let's be real. Um, and the law schools are culprits of that, you know? Um, and I've met a lot of humans, I want to say, that unfortunately have fallen into that trap. Um, not saying all of them. And I think that's where the legal industry um, gets that bad rep that you were talking about, right? Uh, professional lawyers, deception. Um, they're just, you know, want my money. They don't want anything else. And yes, that is true. I'm not going to say there's no attorney out there that does not do that. Um, but understand that there's a lot more to it. You know, there, there's a lot that happened in between wanting to go to law school and being that person that we are yet to um, tap into. I agree with you. It was interesting to me, several years ago, there was an attorney in my office promoting his service for a limited scope representation in court. And for anybody who is listening, who doesn't understand limited scope, you can be representing yourself or you can be working with somebody like me, a legal document preparation company. I can't go to court for you. I can only handle your paperwork and file. And so you may have a hearing that you don't want to go to on your own, but you don't want to hire an attorney 
for a $5,000 retainer to do a whole case. This is just a slice of a, a, a case that you need somebody to help speak for you. And that's called limited scope. And so this gentleman was in my office explaining to me what he learned in law school so that the jury would be afraid of him. And he actually went through physical posturing and language that he learned in a course in law school to scare people. And I thought, oh, dear God, is that really what they're teaching in law school? No wonder we have this problem with really good attorneys who are fighting against this negative brand and this genuinely negative side, you know, a little bit unscrupulous uh, section of attorneys. And then just to finish this, just recently, a colleague was saying to me that when she was graduating from law school, she was talking to a classmate who said, thank God, I'm going to have a legitimate reason to behave like an asshole. <laughs> I rarely use words like that on this program, but that is a direct quote from this person. And I said, and this is why we have such a problem because we need attorneys. We need somebody who understands the law and that will take care of us. We need right. that. And we yeah. need to trust them. I mean, just up until recently, I was working with a client and I was happened to be in her office at that moment. She had the opposing party, opposing counsel, I have to specify, on, on speaker. And I was obviously right next to her because, you know, I'm helping her out doing my thing. And all of a sudden... Opposing, she's a female, so let's let's put let's paint the picture. She is a female, and he's a male, right? Opposing party is a male, and so they're having negotiations, right? They're having a negotiation conversation, not to you know be breach the confidentiality of the case, but they're having a negotiation conversation, and all of a sudden, opposing party was super rude, very derogatory towards her and said, you need to go back to X, Y, and Z, right? Just to not disclose the client. And he, she goes, I'm sorry, what? Like, can you repeat that, please? Uh, she was so like, literally, they were in the midst of, you know, just having a professional conversation, going back and forth, negotiating a contract, right? Like, that's really what it was. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this person just comes out and blurps this, like, horrible statement. And I was so taken back by that, but she didn't flinch. She didn't go down to their level. She wasn't disrespectful back because there was plenty of uh, responses that she could have responded to that would have led to an escalated situation. But I think at that moment, she was more concerned about the best interests of her client versus what she had, you know, what she was about to endure. So she kind of like didn't skim through it, but was like, okay. That was uncalled for is basically what she said and just continued the negotiations. And unfortunately, what that taught me was it's about reaction, right? So the other, the other party can be, like you said, very rude and out of character. And who knows? Maybe that person was having a bad day. Honestly, I have no idea, right? They could have been going through something and woke up on the wrong side of the bed and just blurted that. Who knows? Or... You know, on the flip side, they could just naturally be that person. We don't know. Or we'll they never feel know. that that's an appropriate tactic to take. Yeah, so they could just win. naturally be that person, and that's like their tactic for a negotiation. Okay, fine. You know, to each their own. I'm not. There's no judgment here. Um, but you know, to it's like I know we're opposing party again. Words, right? Argument, opposing parties. All these words are very strong forced words that we use in the legal industry. And um, unfortunately, it paints that picture naturally by utilizing these types of words. So I understand that there is room for that. However, you don't have to ever disrespect the other person. You can have a simple debate 
about something and simply agree to disagree, just like anything else in this world, right? We don't all like all our family members. We don't all like people that we walk on earth, okay? Like, you know, if that was the case, there would be no wars, there would be no disputes, and we live in like, you know, unicorn and rainbow land. So I get it. But like, what gives you the right to disrespect me when one, you barely even know me, and two, this is a professional setting. We're trying to both look out for the best interests of our client. We are more adults, you know, we're not two-year-olds anymore. So um, I think there's a lot of room to grow, right? And there's a lot of changes that the legal industry may need to um, do. And I think that would start with law school and our education system in general. I couldn't agree with you more, really and truly. And I have some of my own stories, but that was a good one. We, we will stick with that. Um, yes, you can debate the issues. You can present what you feel is what the judge needs to hear if you're going to court to make a decision, hopefully, in favor of your client. But you don't have to disparage the other attorney personally or professionally. It absolutely is not a necessary component of getting for your client what you would like to get for your client. Yeah, I understand. Besides being a concierge, a paralegal, and having her own podcast, Let's Talk Legal, I didn't know this when we first talked, but you wrote a book. Wait a minute. You wrote two books, Behind the Oath, Experiences of Paralegals, and you also authored a book, Let's Talk Paralegal, and then that probably launched your podcast, I would think? So it actually happened backwards. So I launched my podcast, the Let's Talk Paralegal podcast was born in December of 2020, right in the midst of the pandemic. And it was out of frustration, really, it was my passion project is really what it was. I, I just woke up heated. And this is why I no longer watch the news. I no longer read news. Like I just have disconnected myself from the news and politics in general. Unless it personally affects me, I'm not going there. But I was really like heated at that moment. And I, I wasn't agreeing with what was going on. So I really, it really came out of like a passion of mine. So I call it my passion project. And it was conversations like this that led to that with my colleagues and it led to um, other conversations. And I just reached out to my colleagues and I said, Hey, I'm about to launch this podcast. I would love it to be a guest podcast versus just me talking all the time, uh, which I can do that all day, every day, but it's nice to, you know, have a conversation, not talk to the camera all the time on my own. And so they hopped on board and the first few guests on the podcast were actually good, good colleagues of mine that I've known for years and from there it evolved and it grew and we got more downloads and, you know, people started sharing it. And, and it's because we have hard conversations. We talk about real situations, real life um, mindset. We talk about perspective. We talk about what we really go through, what's really behind the veil when it comes to legal professionals that clients may or may not see. So understanding that we are still human and that we will have bad days. And that we will have bad decisions. We will make mistakes. We're not computers, but even computers make mistakes. So understanding that um, there is a, you know, a human behind this some way, somehow. And educating while empowering was kind of my thing throughout the entire podcast. And then all of a sudden, people started saying, you need to write a book. And it wasn't something that I've not never considered myself, you know, a, a great writer. I, I mean, I do legal writing, but that's totally different. Those are two different worlds. And I was like, hmm, okay, how do I do that? <laughs> so I was, it was funny because it was presented to me by another uh, colleague of mine. She reached out to me through LinkedIn and said, hey, I want you to co-author on something. And I'm like, well, that seems like a, a good step forward to my book, right? <laughs> so I said, sure. So we collaborated, me and I think it was four other authors on the Behind the Oath, as you said. And it's just basically our stories, our experiences, what we went through, um, kind of shining a light that, again, we're human, right? It went through that whole, um, we're all human and, and we're all going to make mistakes and we're all growing. And, you know, I talk a lot about negative bias in the book and my book personally, the Let's Talk Paralegal book. Um, I feel like it's a really um, gateway for burnout and for 
good legal professionals leaving the industry because of that negative bias that's constantly produced by not only management, but the attorneys themselves. Um, So understanding that it's not just you, that you're not alone, that we're all going through it together, and that there are ways you can control your situation and that you can change your situation, which is more important. Um, Understanding that at the end of the tunnel, there's not only a light, but there's limitlessness Um, you know, that we can do so much more with our legal skills than you can possibly imagine. Just again, that whole educating while empowering kind of concept is really what I poured out in that book. And yes, it's basic stuff that maybe most people know. I didn't reinvent the wheel. That's not what I'm here for. I'm just here to promote the good stuff, right? And show the bad stuff, but really give you tips on how to really navigate through that bad stuff is really what the book is about. And we give you like a nice little handout at the end of the book um, where you can, you know, do uh, notes and, and answer questions. And, and I call them reflection questions to like really get your mind going and really thinking about your current situation and how that can change or not change. I love that you created something for your colleagues, paralegals <laughs> and, and, and associated fields to, to come to, to share concerns, um, embarrassments, challenges. And yes, we are all, we are all human. We make mistakes. I mean, I don't know somebody, I don't know another person that isn't horrified if they forget to check a box on a form. I mean, you know, it's correctable. You check the box, you send it in, but you just don't want to make a mistake. You want everything to be perfect and smooth for your clients. Um, your clients being attorneys, my clients being the public, it's, it doesn't matter. You always want to put your best effort out there. And to have something where you can share and just know that other people are going through the same thing, I think is so special and so wonderful. What I, the reason why I was so looking forward to talking with you and presenting you on this podcast, knowing that my audience is the general public, is because I also think that the public needs to hear two professionals talk to understand how we want to service you. Our intention is to give you our best, our perfect best if we can. And we never want to do anything that would in any way hurt you, cause you to be emotionally upset. But, and this is where my next questions are going to go. In order for the public to choose the right attorney or the right legal document preparation company, I wanted to talk about some tips. How should they research? How should they interview? What should they look for in terms of hiring appropriate legal services? Yeah, so the first thing I would say is look to your jurisdiction. So every state in the United States has a member search. You can Google literally member search of, and then you fill in the blank with the state. And you can get the California one, Florida, Arizona. Every single state has a member search. You can start from there to narrow down what attorney you're looking for. So if you have like a probate matter, if you have a family matter or a personal injury matter, you know, whatever your matter is. And even if you're not sure, Um, Because real estate is a big one, right? There's a lot of things in real estate. So look for real estate, you know? So start with your member search, really narrow it down. There's also a really nice website that I love and I use for myself to vet out my personal clients. It's called AVO. It's A-V-V-O.com. And what I love about AVO.com, not that I'm getting paid for it, but um, what I love about them is that they actually are colleagues reviewing themselves. So these are colleagues that actually say, this person is actually really good. I've actually referred them business and this and that. So that has a lot to say. And you also have clients. So you get both perspectives at the same time. And so that's a really great um, resource. Everything I'm telling you is free. You don't have to prescribe nothing. It's all public information. So you can definitely just go on those websites. Um, Another one is, I would say their website, which is great just to get a feel of the human behind the attorney. Um, Maybe if they have some social media, uh, if they're really active on social media, um, most of the attorneys nowadays are either on LinkedIn or Instagram is really where I'm seeing them. Um, 
flourish. Yeah. So you can look at that and see what they're up to and, and see their status and, you know, all these, again, looking, remember you're hiring a human. So it was funny because I was just having a, a conversation, a similar conversation. And I loved what he had to say. He said, every attorney can provide you legal advice. You're hiring the human behind the legal advice. Is it somebody that's going to really click with you? Is it someone that you can connect with? Is it somebody that you can actually have a real hard conversation with? Because you are going to have hard conversations. Um, so understanding the human behind the attorney is really essential. If they have a YouTube channel, that's even better because you can actually see the personality behind it all. I and look, that. bigger is not always better, guys. I'm telling you now, if it's a huge firm, you know, the Morgan and Morgans of the world. I love them. I know them personally, you know, um, Adam, what is it? Uh, Adler and Levine or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. all these big law firms that we see on the news and commercials and they're always on CNN and Fox. Hey, great. Good for them. Um, But it's not always the best just because they have, they can pay a commercial just because they can, you know, promote themselves doesn't mean they're going to be the best. You have to find the best fit for you. It's not a one size fits all. And don't you think you know it when you're there, your gut, you know, our stomachs always tell us whether we feel nervous, whether we feel calm. You know, when I met him or her, I just knew he or she was the right person. I felt like I was at home. We clicked, we dialogued, something like that. Absolutely. I always follow my gut. Like everybody's like, how do you come up with these ideas? And I was like, my gut, like I'll wake up and I'll be like, I'm going to do a podcast. (laughs) I'm going to do the book. I'm going to do that presentation. I'm going to do this webinar, whatever the case may be. Um, And I do it. I just roll up my sleeves and I get to work and I create something. Um, I always am inspired randomly. It's not something that I just, you know, like, Oh, cool. You know, it took me like three years. No, I I am super uh, inspired at random. Like I will literally be playing with my kids or something and be like, Oh, that's a good idea. And I'll run to my desk and like write something down or put it on my phone before I forget. You know what you you sounded like when you were talking about you work on the immediacy of the, the moment, you get up, I think I'll do a podcast. You sounded like Elle Woods in Legally Blonde when she wanted to go to law school. Well, I'll just go to law school then. Right. And she makes a video, I died. She yes. makes that video for Harvard about how she uses legal knowledge. But that was it. And then she worked hard and she did it. And, and you just right. have that big puppy, um, uh, unafraid energy, which I really, really like about you. I, I, and I got that immediately when, when I was being interviewed by you on yeah. your podcast. I'm definitely raw. That's for sure. <laughs> well, you know what? And we need more of that. We, we really do. Okay. So now you've hired an attorney. Mm-hmm. What are this? This is going to be a two part question. I'm going to do one part, the first part first, and that is signs that your attorney is doing more than they should, more than likely for money. What are those signs? Mm, So, depending on the litigation, right? Because it all depends. um, There are free resources out there. So, first, I would check your jurisdiction again. So, if it's in circuit court, county court, you know, whatever specific. Uh, jurisdiction your case is in. Uh, Dockets are usually to the public, right? Um, You can call, find them on the phone. And if it's a smaller county, you can get the clerk to tell you what's going on. Um, You can ask for a copy of your file, which a lot of clients don't know that, but you can always ask for a copy of your file to kind of see what's really going on versus what they're telling you and they're billing you. Um, So I guess signs to answer your question, if it's a what they call a simple litigation, which is, uh, for example, let's do family law because you do, you do family. So let's say there's no minors, no assets. It's simply straight through the middle divorce, right? You have your car, they have their car, the house is already sold. Um, you know, everything has been disparate. Well, it shouldn't really take that long. <laughs> You know, it shouldn't really take that long. Uh, Depending on the courts, of course, you can always call the court and the judge and see how far behind they are. You can always double check and see what their calendar looks like, right? Because sometimes the delay is not on the attorney, it's on the court. So understanding that there is a difference. Um, 
asking the right questions is also a hard one for clients. So typical questions that you can ask is, well, after this, what happens? And so once we get through this process, what happens? Like really get that um, notion from the get-go, right? Get those expectations as soon as you sign up with them. Okay, so if you negotiate and we have to litigate, you know, how long does that process usually take? And then what happens during the litigation process? I'm just trying to get an understanding of what to expect if we get to that point. Most likely, if they're a very experienced firm or if they had a business consultant such as myself, they will have a process um, pamphlet for you, which is called the welcome package. And they'll give it to you. They'll, and within that package should be the person that you can contact, the hours you can contact them, where you can contact them, the full process from start to finish, everything that they do in their firm, you can ask for that information. And that way it gives you like a guideline. Now that's a guideline doesn't mean that it's necessarily, you know, if it says 30 days, it may take 45 days, especially if, you know, opposing party has asked for an extension or things like that. So there are exceptions to the rules um, but understanding that there is a streamlined process for every single type of practice out there is really where you kind of need to like educate yourself on. And you can do that straight from the get-go. All excellent points. <laughs> Finishing with your gut. So here's what I pulled out of what you said. I mean, literally <laughs> at all excellent points. A, something that people don't know to do, and it was one of the first things you mentioned, and that is, Ask for a copy. As forms come back stamped by the court that you've signed that have to be, ask for an ongoing copy of your file so that at any point in time, you can sit and review things. Mm -hmm. I, we have it in California. I don't know if you have it in Florida, but you literally can go on a website in California, and you can uh, put in your case number, and you can literally look at everything that was filed for you and the date on which it was filed. So right. you can see a, a running order of what's been done for you. And if they have a client portal, because I think I, that was a good point, um, most law firms that have invested in a robust software, they'll have a client portal. So you'll have access to almost everything they have other than uh, emails, like correspondence between like opposing party and them and internal notes. But other than that, you'll have the draft versions, you'll, whatever they give you. So if they do have a client portal, ask for that as well. So you can, come, you know, again, be in that constant no. And again, we'll just stick with family law since this is about divorce. And because, because I started out 12 years ago mediating attorney-client fee disputes, hmm. what I learned was there's always a point when a client, the gut again, says there's something wrong. There's just something wrong. Why are we doing this again? Nothing new has come out of this hearing, that deposition. Why do we have to do all of this? So if you're at that point as a client, really questioning, why are we doing all of this? I know you can't breach, I know the attorney can't breach attorney-client privilege, and I know the client can't go to another attorney and say, this is what my attorney's doing. Can you tell me whether he or she is right or wrong? <laughs> but is there another way of accessing information about, are we, are we in excess mode right now? Um, YouTube and Google are my best friends. <laughs> You can literally Google personal injury, you know, litigation process or family law, you know, process within California, Florida, New York, Arizona, whatever. Right. Um, and you'll get, you know, uh, I always suggest anything that ends in .gov because it's straight from the government or .org because it's an organization. A great resource that I found useful as well, and I utilize it myself with my business, is American Bar Association. They have mm. plenty of resources, and they're nationwide, so they have resources nationwide. So it's a great avenue for the audience that is listening if they're across the board. Um, American Bar Association has amazing free resources. You 
don't have to be a member. They have a, a, a like a portal or like a, a division for the public. Um, and they're really good, really good at staying on top of everything. They are the governing organization of all attorneys. Um, also in that member search that we mentioned when you're researching them, some of them, well, most of them, I, I actually haven't found any that do, do not have this. If they've ever been disciplined or if they've ever had a complaint, the member search will identify that within the last 10 years. Well, this, and state bar websites. You yes, know, and the yeah. state bar and the local level. So understanding that that's an option as well. Um, okay. You know, understanding that. Let's do the opposite of that question. <laughs> Signs that your attorney is doing less than they should. Mm. Like not enough. Not enough. Well, I thought we were supposed to, by this point in time, have this resolved. <laughs> yes. Oh, wow. That's a hard one. That is a hard one. Um, I, I, this is a constant complaint for clients in general. I feel like it's going too slow. You know, they're always saying it's going too slow. It, it's not going fast enough. And I think the illusion of law and order and all these other, you know, <laughs> legal um, sitcoms, you know, they get to see the whole case in one episode, which, hello, guys, that's not realistic. <laughs> I wish it would be amazing if we can solve a case and, you know, litigate the case and everything in 30 minutes, but that's not happening. Um, so again, I think it goes back to the court deadlines, understanding that if the opposing party has 30 to 45 days, that's completely normal. Um, understanding that the process, right? So as soon as it, there is a complaint filed, they have, depending on your jurisdiction, anywhere from 20 to 30 days um, to respond. Or if they, did they send an extension? So really educating yourself on the actual process itself, you'll kind of get a feel as to, okay, guys, it's already been past the 20 days. Are we going to file something? Are we going to do something? You know, um, that is a good indicator that they're probably not on top of your case. And so what you said, what you inferred is the clients themselves have to be on it and participatory. As much as it would be wonderful to do, okay, I trust you, just handle it. I mean, sometimes you just want somebody to take over your life and take the stress off and just make it be okay, but that's not what legal processes are. It requires that you are participatory as the client, that you do what you need to do. This is now we're going into the client's responsibility. Absolutely. Let's segue into that. So in order to be a client that is the right, that is supportive of what the attorney needs to do for you. Yes. You have to return phone calls. You have to return emails. If you have forms to fill out, even though you may be form challenged, you got to do these things, right? Absolutely. You have to be readily available. If you're not, that's some, an expectation that you need to start from the get-go. Hey, I'm only available from this time to this time. The best way to communicate with me is through this email, through text, through this direct number. If you're going to call me within, like I have one uh, attorney that has a doctor as her client. So doctors are, I mean, their schedules are ridiculous, right? They're last minute. He, you know, he's in the ER, he's in surgery and this and that. So from the get-go, as soon as he became a client, we're like, okay, how can we reach you in the case we need you, right? And he went ahead and gave us a super detailed breakdown of his schedule and said, Monday, you know, Mondays and Tuesdays, this is how you can do this. You know, Thursday and Friday, I'm over here and this and that. Um, here's my cell phone. This is the hours that you can reach me then. And, you know, so again, I think the expectations kind of goes both ways and that can be alleviated right at the beginning. You're sitting in front of your attorney, paralegal, intake person, whomever it is that you're sitting in front of, whether it's virtual or physical and saying, this is my contact information. If it changes, if you move, if you have a new cell phone number, if you have an email that you no longer use. If you have a voicemail that does not accept messages. I this mean, is one you know, of my <laughs> most maddening things. Because no, sometimes... We can't reach you, we can't help you. Okay, that's really where it boils down to. So, you know, it, it, communication goes both ways in everything that we do. And um, sometimes if you have information, like if we're, if you see that we're looking for a witness or we're searching something and you know the friend of whomever, right? Or if it's a police officer, your cousin is a police officer in that same division, like help 
somebody out. Like the faster we can get this information, the faster we can help you. Um, I had a perfect one. I was working on a personal injury case. We were trying to locate an officer, but he was on leave. So unfortunately you have to, in certain jurisdictions, you have to serve them directly. The sheriff won't take it, won't accept it. Like you have to serve the police officer, but they were on leave. Our client um, was actually friends with their friend or something like that. And we're like, uh, okay, so where do they live, right? Because then we can serve them in their home, you know? So, I mean, it's important information. If you have information, share it, especially with your attorney. Like, you know, we're trying to help you. Um, So again, communication is key and the success to any relationship, but definitely client attorney or client legal professional. And piggybacking off of (laughs) communication, one of the ways, please speak to this, one of the ways to increase your legal bill beyond what it needs to be, constant emails, constant phone calls, being wanting to discuss your emotions with your attorney, can you please speak to what is inappropriate to do and can just have mounting bills because the attorney will bill you for listening, reading, responding. Yes, absolutely. So if you do have an attorney that is outside of your retainer, let's say you've already exhausted that retainer cost and you're now on the billing hour, um, understand that they are going to bill you both for paralegal time and attorney time. Most likely you'll have both. Uh, the paralegal time obviously is a little less, but not that much. Now I've seen it that the difference is not that much. So um, understanding that we understand the legal professionals understand that you're going through a difficult time and that you um, are needing some sort of attention, but understanding that we can't fulfill your emotional aspect of it, unless it has something to do with the actual case. So let's say it's an emotional distress case. Let's say, you know, in the family law, let's say it has direct to do with that. I always say, if you're having a hard time dealing with this particular issue, and it's, I know in personal injury and family law in particular, there's a lot of um, mindset and a lot of mental health that comes out of it. You know, people getting addicted to opioids because they took it, you know, to take care of their pain or um, depression is a very popular one for family law. Um, Children, right? Minors going through this very difficult time at an early age and not understanding why, you know, my parents are separating or divorcing or not living in the same house anymore. Um, We understand that. So the first thing, that we, you know, as legal professionals, we always say seek help. Seek counsel, not legal counsel. We always refer, you know, we, uh, most law firms, especially family law firms and personal injury law firms have a list of mental health um, counselors. Um, There's apps now that you can just connect to that most likely your health insurance will cover. Um, So we understand that you're going through a difficult time, but we're not mental health counselors. You know, we can't help you up until a certain point and we're always here to listen. Please don't take it the wrong way, but understand that the bill is going to go up. You know, Um, there's always room for conversation. You can always have that five minute, hey, how are you? How are you feeling? This and that. Great. Again, putting that human back into humanity, but let's not make that five to 10 minute conversation, 30 minutes to an hour, and then not get to what we need to get to and do your, and do what we're hired to do. You know what I mean? So there, there's always a, a happy median to both. Like, I don't just want to be that person where I'm a robot and just be like, your case status is this, you know, we've done this, uh, we'll send you the bill at the end of the month. Uh, you know, it's not like that either. Um, but understanding that there is a, a meeting. We don't need to know about every argument <laughs> on every text, on every email, because yes. we can't do anything about it unless it's domestic violence. Absolutely. Okay, then you have to do right, Unless it's about tied that. into the case, yeah. right? Unless it's an information yeah. that we need in order to, you know, to continue with the case. Absolutely. Right. If it's super relevant, go for it. I would like to finish with one interesting thing that's happening within the legal profession, and we touched on it for a few minutes when we were talking on your podcast. It hasn't happened yet, but I I would love to get some reaction from anybody who's listening to email us, either of us, and that is the consideration of this new layer of professional called the paraprofessional. 
And would you like to describe the paraprofessional, Etta, to our audience? I think the best way we can do that, right, not being a legal professional, I think the best way we can do that is supposedly this is what it was created for. It was to, again, alleviate that gap, right, between the lawyer costs and the paralegal costs. And as we mentioned before, paralegals are unable to provide legal advice in most uh, situations. Again, that is changing. Um, so now they're doing what is like a limited licensing. So now they're able to do some sort of legal advice within these confined, uh, strict regulations on simple matters such as the one we discussed about the simple divorce with no minors, no assets, it's straightforward. So you'll get maybe a thousand dollar or fifteen hundred dollar bill versus five to ten thousand dollars, right? So it's supposedly cost effective for the public to actually have legal uh, assistance and have more accessibility to that, right? Because we have to be realistic. Not everybody can afford a $10,000 retainer. Um, most of us can't afford that, as we've seen in our economy. So understanding that most of our society have to get divorced, are in car accidents, and are you know left to deal with these legal matters, and unfortunately, they're just not able to afford an attorney. Um, so it's supposed to fill in that gap and um, give the public a more accessible and affordable access to legal assistance. That was, that is the main goal of this pledge. And so my concern, and I'm talking about this with anybody in the legal field that's a paralegal or a legal secretary, my concern is twofold. So, so the two aspects in my understanding, at least in California, uh, for the paraprofessional, the two hallmarks would be giving legal advice and showing up in court and sitting at the table with the unrepresented client. So you can't, you, my understanding is you still can't, as a paraprofessional, call yourself representing the client. You are still servicing um, with, with, with specific forms of um, service information. My concern, and I share this with the public, is these are only the these have been so far the purviews of attorneys only. When an attorney is giving legal advice, it's based on what we call case law. So there's law that's written in stone, and anybody can access laws on Google. Yes, we can now go to Google Law School, but. There's also additional law that comes out of different cases that have been settled. And when an attorney goes to trial and is arguing a case, for lack of a better word, presenting the case, I'll say now, you use case law to say, well, I understand what the law says, but in this particular situation in 1982, out of this case came a different decision. And so when you give legal advice, you pull on your references for case law. Most of us don't know case law because mm -hmm. I don't need to know it in what I do. I need to know certain family codes that go into the settlement agreements, but I don't debate cases, so I don't know case law. And then sitting in the courtroom is actually kind of interesting to me because you can be so scared of being in the courtroom. And then the more you show up as a pro per litigant, you kind of get comfortable. All of a sudden, it's, it's getting you over that hump of this unusual setting that you would never be in normally, but you are because you have this case. So does it worry you? about about giving legal advice um i think like anything else and i'm and i'm i'm neither side so i'm not pro and i'm not against it because i'm unsure of it right i obviously like anything else i like to do my research it's very new very young concept not much to build upon uh, for me anyway an actual opinion um or because i like to do educated opinions because that's my thing so as it stands now, and as my little minimal research on that particular subject has happened because Utah and Ohio, and I think now Arizona is um, now official on all those, is there's certain education, there's certain criteria, there's certain rules, there's certain regulations that you need to abide just like an attorney would, you know, as far as ethics go and, and all that good stuff. But 
I think with the legal advice, I think you're right. We can interpret, there's different calibers of paralegals, just like there's different calibers of attorneys. You'll have your first year attorney straight out of law school, and then you'll have your you know attorney of 10 plus years that has been litigating multi-billion dollar um, cases and trials and has been on TV and been on the famous you know trials um, and things like that. So I think just like that, on the flip point, there are paralegals that are very new, very young, very green. And for paralegals, it's a little different. You can't base it upon the years of experience. You have to base it upon what experience they have had within those years. So we have had, if you're litigating paralegal for 10 plus years, you've done case law, you've been a law clerk almost, you've interpreted the case law, you've prepped the attorney basically for the trial. You're there until 10 p.m. with the attorney. Uh, you're mocking the trial. You're mocking, you know, you're doing the jury selection. You're next to the attorney during these um, court hearings. But if you're not a litigating paralegal for X amount of years, and I'm not going to put any years because we're all different levels of learning, right? I've, I've seen a paralegal uh, litigating paralegal know uh, more than one that has been a litigating paralegal for five years and she only had a year of experience. So understanding that there are different types and levels of paralegals as well. Now, does it get dangerous? Absolutely. You know, we're, we're, really, we're really walking that fine line. Um, I think the only way that this is going to be fully successful to where everybody will um, welcome it with open arms, aside from the public, of course, because they're looking at the cost effectiveness of it. Um, I think it would be by drilling down and really being specific as to the requirements, the rules and regulations. I'm not saying it's not possible because I have interviewed people on my podcast, such as in Canada, Ontario, Canada, that has done it for years. They have paralegals that actually go and present the case and everything in Canada. Um, also, the Namati Global Organization, they have what are called barefoot paralegals. So in India, um, such as India and I believe Africa, and if I'm sorry if I misspoke and somebody can correct me if I misspoke, um, in those countries, paralegals can go and represent and do everything just as an attorney would. So this is not an unusual concept around the world. It's just new to us. Okay, so it hasn't really taken hold in California yet. No. It, it's still under discussion. But you, you said three states. You said Utah, Arizona, and what was the other state? I believe it was Ohio. I think it's Ohio. Yeah. Where the power we are working on that. Um, you can find them on the NALA, the NALA, oh, okay. uh, N-A-L-A dot org, I think it okay. is. Okay. Um, you can find all the states that are already official. Um, on that. Florida hasn't even entertained it. So, And the, the term paraprofessional is being used? Yes. And legal, okay. I think it's a legal technician is also the other one. Okay. Okay. This is wonderful. Edda, this has been <laughs> a delight. We have yeah. come to the end of our time and I've just enjoyed everything you've said. I, I'm speaking for all of the listening public. I think they have too. Lastly, as we give your contact information, and of course it's all going to be in the show notes as well, but for those listening that say, you know what? I think I've learned so much just by my divorce case. <laughs> I may want to avail myself of some of Edda's information. Maybe I want to go in the legal field as opposed to being a divorce coach. <laughs> can they? Can, yes. can, can Absolutely. Uh, we have everything on our website. So all our resources, social media, email, any way to contact us, all our events. Uh, we have a lot of webinars that are open to the public. You do not have to be a legal professional to attend any of our workshops or webinars. Okay. Um, some things are free, some are not. We offer both. Uh, we have an online shop that you can just purchase a course. So if you're not able to attend our workshop live, uh, you can just purchase a course on our website. Super affordable. They're like $10, $25, nothing over the top. Because again, we're trying to promote affordableness, you know, to legal assistance. Um, you know, that's really our thing. But yeah, on our website, you can just go, it's www.edarosa, R-O-S-A llc.com. Really simple. It's our company name.com. And literally everything that we do is on that website. <laughs> 
I absolutely love everything you're doing in the legal profession. And I just, I just love the way I love your enthusiasm, your commitment to honesty, ethics, and then your just expansive view on how to creatively provide legal services to the public. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on the program. I really appreciate it. Oh, of course. It was a pleasure. It's always a good time with you. (laughs) Thank you. I feel the same. Ditto. And I feel the same about all of you. Thank you for listening. I appreciate every one of you. I hope this has helped you open your eyes to a, a better experience with legal services. If you're about to embark on them, if you're in the middle of them, Uh, I I think this has been extremely valuable. You can reach me through my website, uh, theamicabledivorceexpert.com, or of course my email address, judith at theamicabledivorceexpert.com. And as always, have an amicable day. That's our show for today. Thank you for joining us. Be good to yourselves, be kind to your spouse, and cherish your children above all else.